Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Well, God, we just take these moments to say that our hearts are open for whatever you want to do. God, for every situation represented in this room, there's nothing too big or too small for you. And so, God, we lay everything at your feet. God, the burdens, the weights, say, do whatever you want to do. God, we put our faith in you, not in what you can do, but in who you are. And we give everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. Listen, before you sit down, say hi to two or three neighbors. Um, I'm assuming by this point they've brushed their teeth, so tell them that their breath does not smell bad. All right, y'all doing good? All right, y'all doing good? That's all right. We'll just start the, the camera right there in that second part. Um, hey, welcome to the 12 o'clock service. Y'all are the uh, sleeping in ones, huh? But, uh, but I know that 12 o'clock is the, uh, the most ready service. Y'all ready to, to hear the word this morning? You guys ready to hear God's word? So we're in a new series, um, as you guys know, called Worst Sermon Ever. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to preach my worst. I hope that I don't. But if I do, don't tell me. Um, it, it's, it's correcting Christians' bad theology. Um, and we know that there's a lot of bad theology out there. But if we're honest, we all believe some things incorrectly. Um, so to, to say that we're going to cover the entire landscape of all bad theology would be wrong. But we're going to take a few moments and dive into a few. And so today I've got one. Um, and lastly, before I begin, I want to say pray for your pastors. Um, Pastor Cabe and Chrissy, they're on vacation, a much needed vacation. And uh, I don't know where they are now. They seem to be everywhere, but be praying for them as they get rest and they come back renewed and, and ready for the rest of the summer as summer study begins. And uh, the last shameless plug, Wednesday night, if you're not serving um, in, a, in a team yet, Wednesday night is your night. Come hear about why we serve, the vision behind what we do um, and how we need each and every one of you. We, we always say that this house is not built um, on the sacrifice or talents of a few, but on many. Um, and so we're calling everybody that if you're not serving um, or you're interested, come out in here. So Wednesday night, um, you can sign up for that in the Church Center app and it will be a great night. So I'm, I've got a message for you today um, labeled the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. Today, um, the bad theology that we're gonna um, spend a few moments talking about is this idea and this popular belief that all roads lead to heaven. Um, and I, I label this message the way, the truth, and the life because for many of us represented in this room, we know that outside of Jesus, there is no way to heaven. The Bible is explicitly clear that there is no way to the Father except through the Son. And so today we're gonna to spend the next 20, 30 minutes talking on Jesus, how he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and I, I've got a story out of Mark chapter 10 that I think is gonna um, give us a lot of insight to Jesus. And then also um, the greatest single commandment that Jesus preached out of Matthew chapter 22. I think it's gonna wrap all this up really, really well. Um, but before I, I was writing this message, I had to ask myself, why do so many people believe that there's so many roads to heaven? Um, now, I've been doing youth ministry for almost a decade. Next year's gonna be a decade of doing youth ministry, so a long time. So you could say that I'm phasing out of youth ministry now. I'm not really that age anymore. Uh, it's always kind of weird, isn't it, as a young adult? You're like, I'm not really, I don't fit in anymore. That's where I'm at. And um, a decade of that, and I've gotten to see a lot of the, the popular cultures, um, the waves of, of, of different beliefs and things that have come through over the years. And I've gotten an opportunity to kind of see like, 
you know, because young people really believe a lot of the things they hear really quickly. Um, and that's probably where it spreads the quickest. And so I've gotten to hear a lot of uh, uh, the reasoning behind why people would think the way that they think. Um, and one of the main reasons I would say that I think it is um, we're in a generation now um, that, that tells you that your feelings are, are, are everything that you should say. Manifest your feelings, virtue signaling, just however you feel, everybody around you should always constantly agree. But you know what, what's funny about this is all these different things of speaking your truth and virtue signaling, um, what it all boils down to is culture is trying to tell you that to be your own God that however you wanna do, whatever you wanna feel like, whatever you wanna do or be, just speak it out and it'll come. And culture will constantly tell you that this is the way. Um, I also noticed that for a lot of people, even probably represented in this room, that the reason why we don't come down and the, the, it boils down to this for all of us, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And we're not so um, upfront about it. And maybe as we should be, is we don't wanna offend people. We live in a very sensitive culture now where you say the wrong thing, you slip doing the wrong thing, and it's, not, and it's not even intentional. It is a problem, isn't it? And in this culture now more than ever, we need to know that there is a God in heaven who is calling us, that we don't have our way to eternity by our own works or efforts. There's nothing that we can do that will get us there. And so over my years of doing youth and, and young adult ministries, I've had the opportunity um, to see this, but you know what's, what's funny? Maybe this isn't as funny to you as it was to me. Um, but as I was like writing down why people struggle with believing that there is only one road to heaven, the first thing that came to my mind, why people have a hard time believing that Jesus is the only way, you know what it is? The first thing that came to my mind was mean Christians. Far too many mean Christians. I mean, if you wanna turn somebody away from Jesus, just be that rude, mean Christian. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect, that you're not gonna fail, but we all know that, that we've met those people. And this is why gathering in a community like this is important because when we try to do it on our own, that we often try to form our own theology in our own ways and our own abilities, and we become something that was not at all what Jesus was. When we're gonna speak his word, we need to do it with his tone, not our own. And when we spend time with him, what I've realized is this, that the longer you're in relationship with him, the more you know who he is. I wanna give you some statistics as to some things that I was reading as I was coming upon this message. 39% um, of Americans, it's kind of crazy to me, 39% of Americans believe um, that only Jesus is the way to heaven, meaning that there is 61%, if I'm doing my math right, 61% of America believes that there's many roads that lead to heaven. Now you even take this into the context of the local church. The local church, they said this, there is... 58% of Christians believe that many religions or many ways to heaven, 58%. Now you take that in a group of 100 people in a church, there's probably almost close to 100 in here. 58% of us would say that there's many roads to heaven. Well, when it comes down to Christians, only 31% of Christians would say that Jesus is the only way. This is mind boggling to me that we can be in a room constantly every week preaching the gospel, singing songs about Jesus, practicing our faith on our own, and still only 31% of us would say that Jesus is the only way. And I'm like, Jesus, how does this happen? How do we get to a spot where we gather so often, where we have your word, and still only 31% of us believe the truth, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I think what the real epidemic is, is that only 20% of people of the faith, people who follow Jesus, have read their entire Bible from front to back. Genesis to Revelation, only 20% of people. So I guess my plea to you before we even begin this morning is spend a little bit of time with God every day. I tell our youth students all the time, the best way to hear God's voice is to spend time in his word. If you wanna hear his voice, spend time listening to the things that he said. He'll speak to you on that. 
But we need to be a generation of people, and especially a, a church of people that come together and say, God's word is, it, it is life. God's word is alive, it's active, and we need this in order to get through this life. And we're gonna spend a lot of time this morning talking about how Jesus gave us the blueprints, but we gotta, we gotta, we gotta zero in on this, that we're gonna get more revelation of who he is the longer we're in relationship with him. If you've ever been on a first date before, and we all have if you're married, you don't go on a first date and you automatically know everything about that person. Now, I didn't say you didn't judge that person on the first date. That probably did happen. But you don't go on a first date and automatically know everything about that person. You don't. It takes years. And I know that there's people in here that have been married way longer than me. I've been married for six years now. And I'm still learning things to this day that I did not know. I'm still hearing stories to this day of things I did not know. Because the longer you're in relationship, the more you come to know. And this is what the beckoning is for the local church, that we continually come back to him to know more about him. And the more we do that, the more we begin to know what his plans are for us. His guide is our word. Um, a couple years ago, I did this race. And um, one of the bad theology things that we should do, Pastor Randy, is um, there's one thing that I did, and I'm not, I'm, I feel bad for even saying this, and it was from the devil. It really was. I ran. I ran. Um, Okay, that didn't land really well, but we'll keep going. Thank you for the fake laughs. Uh, running is not from God. And actually, there's, there's many times throughout Scripture that biblically, it, there's a command not to run from God. So I just took that and just said, I'm not going to run at all. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a runner, and I've got friends that are like GQ-looking dudes, and like, they never run. Like, I, I, they, this, they don't run. So I'm like, I'm going for what you're going for. I'm never going to run. Um, the pizza diet's not really working for me, but, you know, I'm working on it. And I had some friends that were like, hey, we should all run in this race. It'll be great. And I was like, you lost me at run, bro. You lost me there. And my wife was like, yeah, he never runs. And like, you know, when you've been married for a little while, if you're married, you know this is true. Like when your wife challenges you on something, you're like, that's it, I can do it. Like, I know I can't build stuff. Like, I know I can't. Um, and we ordered, true story, I ordered some furniture from uh, someplace somewhere. And um, my wife's all, you should probably have somebody like come do this for you. I'm like, I got it. I put it together backwards, the entire thing. It's a true story. Um, so now I don't get to do anything handy around the house. And so she's like, he, he doesn't run. I'm like, that's it, I'm running. And uh, he's like, okay, well, great. This, the race that I signed you guys up for, it's a, it's a Tough Mudder. Have you ever heard of a Tough Mudder? This is essentially how much torture and pain they can put you through for 10 miles until you get all the way through. And then they see how you're doing afterwards. They take pictures of you. It's like, it's not a good picture. It's not a good look. Um, and so... We're about to ready to do this. We're about six weeks out. And my friend's like, we should probably train. And you know, all things considered, that is a good plan. You should train. Uh, I don't like running though. Did I tell you guys that? I hate running. And um, so I go to the first training session and they're doing some lifting in the back. And then they do this last uphill run. And I'm running up the hill. And if you've ever seen somebody like, they, they don't look healthy when they're running. That was me. I was like running kind of sideways like this. And I'm like, which arm goes numb when you're running and you're having a heart attack? And they're like, your right arm. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna leave now. <laughs> And that was the one training session that I made it out for. I skipped the next five and didn't go to the rest. And my wife's like, you're gonna, you're gonna regret that. She trained the whole time. And I'm like, I bet you I'm still gonna beat you. I will still beat you. And you know, I was a few years outside of high school. So I really believed in myself. And the race day came up. And many of you guys know that this isn't a secret. I like to shoe shop with my wife, okay? I also get pedicures with her. I don't care what you think. I don't care. I still do it. And it's amazing and it makes me feel good. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, the acceptance really did something for me there. And I, I'm not an outdoorsy guy. Like it's, it's just, it's, you know, I was like, the other day I was driving through Tahoe on my way to a wedding. And I'm like, man, this outside nature stuff is so beautiful. I'm like, we should come up here one day. And I'm like, and then a few seconds go by and I'm like, 
wait, I don't know what I'd even do up here. It just looks cool. Like, I don't actually want to get out or camp. That sounds terrible. And we get out of the bus and it's mid-October. It's here in Sacramento. And it just happened to be the day where it's gloomy, it's dark outside, it's drizzly and rainy. Um, and then the worst thing happened. I stepped outside of the bus that we were on and I stepped into a puddle of water and my socks got wet. You know what I'm talking about when your socks get wet and it ruins your day? Like, it doesn't matter how good the day is. If you get your socks wet, it's game over. My socks are wet. So from day one, from, from moment one, like this is all said and done for me. Like this is not gonna go well. And then to top it off, we're about ready to start the race. The guy shoots a gun and everybody starts running and everybody knows they're gonna get muddy and dirty. So half the people, like 150 people, just jump into the mud right away and they get covered. I'm like, you guys are actual lunatics. Like you need therapy more than I do, you do. And so we start running and I'm, I'm probably two miles in. At this point, I'm doing actually kind of decent and it's probably just the adrenaline. Um, and it comes up to this first obstacle. And this obstacle was called electric shock therapy. Electric shock therapy. I get up to this thing and I knew it was gonna be bad when I got up to the front and they had a booth right there with volunteers that were giving out protein bars because they're like, hey, you're gonna wanna eat this. I'm like, no, I'm good, I got this. Like, no, you're probably gonna wanna eat this. And I'm like, I don't know why I need it. Like, trust me, you want it. So I'm like, all right. So I take it, we all take it. And then we start strategizing. Now you gotta understand this thing was about 30 feet long. There's five rows of hay barrels to jump over as you go through. And then on the way, every time you jump, there's these wires hanging down that had pulses going through them to shock you. Some of them had a little bit, some of them had a lot. And uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's strategize. We're seeing that people are running around the left side and the right side and they're getting through just fine. Their protein bars worked for them, okay? Protein bars don't work for me still. And they're running through and they're like, this is what we're gonna do. Everybody's getting through that's going on the left and the right side. That's what we're gonna do and we'll be, we'll be fine. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. That's the plan. So we're all getting ready. And then the boys are all together and they're all hyping each other up. Like, here we go. We're gonna do this thing. Three, two, one. But you know, like when you, when you have the adrenaline, like it just totally, like all logic leaves your mind. And then you forget the plan completely. I completely forgot the plan when it hit one and I ran straight down the middle. And I'm running down the middle and I clear the first hay barrel, the second hay barrel. The third one comes up and I'm pretty sure that God smit me from heaven and threw a lightning bolt at me. He threw me right on the ground. I'm laying on the ground now and I'm trying to get up. And there's this one really long cord that's hanging down that's, you know, I don't know, it felt like it had the most electric shock it could. And I get up and my head just barely gets out of the mud and it shocks me again, it throws me down. And I'm like, is somebody stepping on me? Happens again a third time. And finally I realize this, this cord's long. There's no way I'm making it out. And I'm like, I'm gonna die here. <laughs> this is my life. My socks are wet. It's cold outside. I don't have a pedicure. I'm gonna die. This is it for me. Finally, I look up and my friends are all over there laughing. And I just out of pure panic. I'm like, I need help. And one of them, and they're all laughing. One of them gracefully comes in. He grabs my hand and he pulls me out. And uh, there's still seven miles to go after that. So I did finish the race, okay? I did finish the race. Um, it took a long time. It took a long time, but I did finish. And I was thinking about this and I'm like, man, how many times in my own life have I known what God's word has told me to do and yet I've went my own way? Yet I've went the way that I thought was best. I, I, I let the excitement of what I, my dreams were get in the way and I ran in the wrong lane. I did the wrong thing. How many times? Yeah, there we go. Look at my wife. She always has a smile on. She's having a great time. That's a fake smile. If you see me do that, that's fake, okay? Right there, I'm thinking I would rather be at the mall <laughs> or about in and out But how many times do we do this where we run in the wrong race? We run in the wrong lane. We know what God's word tells us to do, but yet we still go our own way. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story very similar um, to Tough Mudder. I'm just kidding. That wasn't invented yet. 
uh, about a man. He's a rich, young ruler. Now, you gotta understand about this man that we're gonna read about. Um, he's essentially living the American dream. He's young, he's good looking, he's got money. This is the guy, if I have any, my, my, my friends that are girls and then I got a single dude, I'm like, this is the guy right here. Like, you need to be with this guy. He had money, he had leadership, he had fame. People knew who this man was. And he comes up to Jesus and essentially the question he's gonna ask Jesus through the text is, is there any other way to heaven except through you? Because he had everything he wanted, but yet it st he still showed up and asked Jesus, about how he gets to heaven. You know what tells me? That you feel, even if you feel like you can have everything in your life, if everything's going well, you got everything you could possibly want, that there's still one thing that you're always gonna miss. And actually the book of Ecclesiastes says this, that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. Meaning that God from the original beginning, when he designed us in our DNA and the fabric of who we are, he designed something innately on the inside of us to desire him and want him. So no matter how much you gain, no matter how much you have, no matter how successful you might be, at the end of the day, there's always gonna be a longing and a desire on the inside of you for something greater than this world can give you. And that was designed by God from the beginning. So this man runs up to Jesus with desperation, wanting something more than what he has. C.S. Lewis, um, there's a quote by him that we'll put up on the screen. And it actually says this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And this is the truth of the gospel. And as I wanna move into our text here, but this is the truth. The Bible is so clear that we are here for a little while. This life is not long. And though it feels long while we're here in the grand scheme of things, it is but a breath. Here today and gone tomorrow. And we are just people traveling the earth, waiting for our eternal home. So what we do with our time now matters, but we've got to understand that we were designed and destined for another place and this world is not it. But culture will tell us to live like it's heaven on earth, to live your life up now, but you're forsaking the next. Today, we got to understand that this life is short and God has something greater. That's what we have innately on the inside of us. So in Mark chapter 10, I'm going to read this. They can throw the text up. If you've got your uh, Bible, you can go there. Mark 10, verse 17. I'm going to read out of the message version, but if not, you guys can read the giant LED wall. Mark 10 says this. And the rich young ruler went out into the street and he came running up and he greeted Jesus with great reverence. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus responded, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat. Oh, and honor your mother and father. And he said, teacher, I have from my youth kept all of these commandments. And Jesus, he looked him hard in the eye and he loved him. He said, teacher, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it all to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and then come follow me. Verse 22, the man's face clouded over for that was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Everybody say, let go. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? The disciples could not believe what they were hearing, but Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom that got their attention. And they said, who has any chance at all? In verse 27, Jesus replies, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself, but every chance in the world, if you let God do it. Everybody say, let God do it. What I have learned 
what I have learned about Jesus is, is this. When you get to the end of it, when you get to the end of yourself, when you realize that Jesus is all you have, you will realize that he is all you need that everything you've ever desired, everything you've ever needed, though it might not be exactly what you thought it was gonna look like, it is everything that you need. They say that Jesus plus everything really equals nothing, but everything minus Jesus, that's nothing. But when you have Jesus plus nothing, you still have everything. You might not have anything in your life. You might feel like you're at the end of yourself, but if you got him, you are gonna have all that you need. So I've got three things this morning. I'm gonna go through these quickly. Three things that all of us have in the human experience. All of these things are the greatest things that we're gonna experience every single day that Jesus wants to encounter. The first thing is, is our heart. Jesus is intentional through scripture that he's always intentional about coming to the heart first. Why? Because many people come here and they think Jesus and he could change my habits. I have bad habits. I've been cussing. I've been doing this. Join the club. We all have things that we do right, right? But Jesus is not about habit change. He's about heart change. And when he changes your heart, then your habits change. But it's not the other way. He doesn't change your habits first and then your heart. That never works. So he gets to the heart of who you are. And the rich young ruler, he comes running up to Jesus and he addresses his heart because he said, here's a, here's a conversation. Jesus, what do I have to do to, to earn eternal life? Can I pay for it? Can I, can I do something to get it? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your mom and dad. And when we read these at face value, they, they, you can be like, yeah, you know, I've honored my mom and dad. I haven't lied. I haven't committed adultery. I've been good. And at face value, you're like, I've done all these things. I'm good. Jesus, now like, what else do I have to do? And this man clearly was prideful to say that. But the reality is, is that Jesus wasn't just giving him a face value commandment. He was actually looking at the heart because the Bible says that murder is not actually, and I hope in a room like this that nobody's actually murdered anybody, but you know, you never know. He said, that one made me a little scared. I was waiting for some people. <laughs> When he said what, what, what murder is, is it's first, the Bible says, it's first hate in your heart. When you hate and you unforgive other people, when you hold unforgiveness and bitterness, that's, that's murder. And he said, don't commit adultery. He's like, Jesus, I'm good. He's like, but what, what adultery is before it is an outward expression is in your heart, it's lust. Are you lusting after the wrong things? Are you lusting out people outside of your marriage? Are you looking around in Jesus? While it might've sounded at face value, like, oh, I've done all these things. He said, look at your heart. Well, what's on the inside? Because what I found about Jesus, he, he then addresses what the man is holding in his hands. But before I get there, I wanna say this. What I've noticed about the scripture is that Jesus, while he first attempts to talk about the heart, then he comes to what he's holding in his hands. And it's kind of like that scripture that where your heart is, there your treasure is also, right? We've all heard this one. And I'd like to even maybe submit the thought to you that where your, hands, where your heart is, there your hands are also. Meaning that you're gonna work towards something. If your heart's fully invested in something, you're gonna work towards it, aren't you? Like you're not gonna work hard at something that you don't believe in. You're not gonna go invest all your money in something that's gonna bankrupt you. I've never seen that yet. You would be weird to do that. But if you believe in something, you're gonna put your hands on it, aren't you? You're gonna work hard. You're gonna wake up early and do it. It's gonna put you to bed late at night because you're gonna do it. You're gonna have dreams. You're gonna be excited about it. And what I found with us is that where our heart is, there our hands are also. And Jesus doesn't just say, how is his heart? But then he says, would you be willing to sell everything that's in your hands and follow me? He then addresses what the man was holding in his hands. And I wanted to ask you today, because we see with the rich young ruler that he was holding on tight to a lot of things. Scripture said that he was not about to let any of them go. I wanna ask you, are you holding on to anything tighter than you're holding on to God? Are you holding on to dreams of things that you've wanted, even though God's tried to redirect your path? Are you holding on to money when God has tried to tell you to be faithful with it because he has more for you? 
Have you been faithful with those things? Because God might give you something one day and the crazy thing about faith is he might ask you to give it up the next day. And we have this mentality where when we give things up, we have a hard time with it because we think if I give it up, there won't be enough for me later on. And I told my wife this, um, as we were going through a season of transition ourselves. I told her, she was leaving one season and walking to the next. And I said, that was good for the season that we were in. And just because we're moving into something else, it doesn't make that last season bad. It just means that the next season that God has for you is better for you right now. And somebody needs to hear that today, that what you let go of when God asks for it, it doesn't mean that it was ever bad or wrong, but what he has for you next is even better for you. But you've got to be willing to say, God, I'm going to live open-handed. I'm not going to hold on to anything tighter than I hold on to you because the reality is this, that the only limitations that you and I will face in our life is when we put a restriction on God. Mm-mm, you can't have my money. No, I'm going to get my 401k up. I got to get my income up every month. And once I do that, I'll buy a house. And I'll get that car that I've really wanted. You know, the electric car, because the gas is so expensive right now. So I got to get the electric car. And once I can afford all that, Jesus, then I'll start tipping you. Start giving you what's left over. And that restriction that we place on him is actually a limitation we now have on our own spiritual journey. And God is asking us to live open-handed that way that we don't have any restrictions on him. So I wanna ask you today that what you have in your hand, the things that God has given you, if he asked you for it today, would you be willing to give it? Would you be willing to say, God, you can have everything? Because what we believe here is that what God has for us is even better every season. The best is never behind you. The best is always in front of you. If God is in front of you, if he is leading you, what's in front of you will always be better. It actually brought me back when I was writing this down that Jesus was talking about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it wasn't gonna be the rich or the popular or the famous. It wasn't gonna be those people. He said the greatest in the kingdom of God would be those who would be willing to lay down their lives and serve. I wanna ask you today, because what serving is, it's willing to lay down everything that you have. Are you willing to lay things down in your life so that you can serve? Um, because we got, um, here's my shameless plug again, team night on Wednesday night. What, what we've realized, to be really, really honest, and not, it's not just in this church, but kind of across the board. This one's gonna sting a little bit, can I say it? That there's a lot of people today that they want a seat at the table, but they do not want to serve in the house. A lot of people want to come in and receive. A lot of people want to come in and feel good. A lot of people want to get prayer. A lot of people want to get met. A lot of people want to be served, but there's not as many who want to serve other people. And I think the plea and the commission, when Jesus was dealing with the rich young ruler's heart, what he was asking of the young man, would you be willing to lay it all down and serve and lead in the local church? We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. That's why we gather. There is no other reason. And I want to ask you today, are you willing to lay down what God has placed in your hands so that you can serve him? The second thing, the second thing that Jesus addressed is first was his heart. And the second thing was his mind. The mind is maybe one of the greatest restrictors in our life, isn't it? We can convince ourselves of almost anything in our mind. You ever like hung out with somebody and then you went home and like totally like thought back to conversation and all the things that you did wrong or said wrong or they did wrong and said wrong. And you're like, why am I? And then you get to a point where you finally reason yourself. Like, why did I just go down that rabbit trail? Like, I don't even understand why I did that. Or you make up situations in your mind, right? Like we've all done this from time to time. Because in our mind, it's almost the hardest place to convince ourselves of anything. And this is again why Jesus always deals with the heart before anything else. He doesn't say, I wanna transform your mind. That comes after he transforms your heart. Your heart is the vessel where everything comes from. And so the rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth. 
what else do I need to do? And Jesus, he essentially tells the man to, to give back all the money. You gotta understand that at this time that, that theologians would actually tell you that um, wealth was actually the equivalence of what they believed God's blessing was. So if you were rich, they would say, hey, and we know Pastor Randy talked about this last week, but just because you're rich, just because you have things, it doesn't mean that's God's uh, blessing. Or it doesn't mean that you're more favored because you have that. But that's in this culture what they believe, that if you had more money, more finances, more popularity, that you had God's blessing and favor on your life. And Jesus comes in and he seems to say, can I have it back? And he's like, wait, didn't, didn't you give me all these things? Didn't you give me the finances? Didn't you give, give me the money? You gave me the prominence. Didn't you give me all these things? Why, why, why would you ask for it back? It, it doesn't make sense. And you know, here's the reality, that when God has persuaded you in your heart and has convinced you in your mind you will come to a place only then that you realize that God has called you to be a manager of what you have, not an owner of it. Whatever you have in your hands right now, you're not to be close-handed with it. You're not to keep it to yourself. You're not to say, it's only for me. I'm gonna build my own kingdom. I'm gonna build his kingdom. And what that means is I gotta be, uh, be willing to be a manager. That wherever it needs to go, whoever needs it, whatever God tells me to do with it, he's the one that controls it all. We are managers, not owners. And so as this text goes on and we're, we're gonna start closing, keys, you can come back up. Um, this is what happens. The, the young man, it says that he walks away. It says that his face was clawed over. Now I think that this is extraordinary and this is the only thing really that has kept me coming back and asking God because I've never read in scripture one time where somebody has left God's presence sad. I've never met it except for this one time. And the only place I've ever read where somebody left God's presence sad was because he wasn't willing to let go of what God had given him. He wasn't willing to let go of the things that he had been blessed with. Because every other time in scripture, we see that people leave the presence of God happy because they've received, but I think that's because they came willing and obedient and ready to let, let go and give everything back that God had given them. You never see somebody who came that was sick and needed healing leaving sad, why? Because they, they knew they came with nothing and they left with everything. But for people that have things that God has given them, we have a hard time coming with a lot and saying, God, I'm willing to lay it down. We would be people that would be joyous if we would know that no matter what I lay down, no matter what I give, what he has for me in every season, it's always better. But the, here's what Jesus said. So the young man leaves and Jesus, he looks at his disciples. And the first thing that I thought was amazing is when the young man said, I wanna earn it. He said, go and sell everything. He looks him dead in the eyes. And this is what scripture said. Jesus looked him hard in the eyes and he loved him. And this made me stop for a moment. Because I wonder how many times in our own stubbornness, in our own plan making, in our own ways, you guys know me, Proverbs 16 is my favorite verse, that man plans his way, but it's the Lord that directs his steps. And he had his own ways planned. He had his own agenda. He had his own 401k strategy. He had his home buying process down. He knew what he was gonna do. And Jesus tried to redirect and change all of that. And he left sad, but before he did, it said Jesus looked him in the eyes and he loved him. You know what this tells me? That in the middle of your process, in your ugliness, in your failures, in your flaws, in your stubbornness, that he looks at you and he loves you through your process. This is why we say here at Project Church that people are in progress. We will never, ever meet a place of perfection, but we will always be people in progress. And you know what that does? That turns God's face towards us with a heart, with love, with joy, because he sees us and he loves us. If you're in here and you've been wrestling and strategizing and trying to figure it out on your own for a long time and you have resisted what he has said, he doesn't look at you any differently. He looks at you in the eyes and he loves you still. He loves you in your process. He loves you in your ugliness. He loves you through it all. And um, as I was probably the last year, probably like right during COVID, I had this like 
dream in my heart for like the young adults of Sacramento and, and God gave me these words. It was, a, it was a very simple vision, but something that God keeps bringing me back to that's been for me. And I honestly could probably stop preaching here and I'm not going to, because <laughs> I got more time. But th this word that God gave me has, I think in every season that's been, that's been difficult, that has made me wanna turn the other way, has made me wanna try to do it on my own. This, this one thing that God told me has changed so much in my life and it was a simple verse. And he put a dot, dot, dot at the end. So that was even more frustrating. But he just said, if you only knew, and I don't know who needs to hear that today, that has been holding on to so much, not willing to let go, not willing to let God in on what he's been asking to do in your heart, not willing to give up on anything because you think you have it in your own ability. You think you got it down. And there's these words that I've, I, I wanna tell somebody else with the Holy Spirit speaking, if you only knew the gift that he had for you, if you only knew what the next season would hold, if you only knew what he wanted to do in your marriage, if you only knew what he wanted to do in that business, if you only knew what he wanted to do in your heart, you would not be like the rich ruler and just say, I'm gonna keep it to myself. If you knew what he had for you, you would lay it down. But that's what faith is, that you don't get to see the whole picture. You gotta believe. And the rich young ruler had a hard time laying down what he had because he had a hard time seeing that there would be anything better for him than what he had. And so many people today are the same way. They think that what they have now is the best. And I come to tell you that if you only knew what he had for you, somebody needs to write that down. And when they're struggling, you need to say that to yourself. If I only knew, man, that'll make faith rise like nothing else. If I only knew when I don't have much and God's asking for it, if I only knew I would give it. If I only knew. And the last thing that God wants to touch and speak to today is your soul. The first one was heart, your mind, and now your soul. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went out to this dinner with a friend, me and my wife and him and his wife, we were in um, Orange County. And uh, it was this really nice restaurant, I forget what it was called, Benihana. Y'all been to Benihana? And he took me to Benihana, never been, it was an experience, I'll say that. And I got in there and by the end of the meal, um, you know, I'm a young adult, right? So me and my wife walk in there and I'm like, oh, I thought we were gonna get like burgers or something. Like this ain't gonna be cheap. And you know, when you're a young adult and you're like, or anybody really, you're like, oh man, like gas prices, I don't really have this much money to spend on food. And you're like, is it getting hot in here? <laughs> and then you like open up the menu, you're like, oh my, is that a zip code or is that a price tag? And I look at it and, I'm, and Carly's like, just keep it, keep it together. And I'm like, oh, it's getting really hot in here. And I'm like, got like the towels, right? I'm like, it's getting really hot in here. And I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna play it cool. Just see what happens here. And so we order this meal. We're having a meal with these, these, some of our close friends. And um, over the, drain, the, the remainder of the, the meal, we're having a great time. And the bill finally comes around. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, those are zip codes. Okay, good. So where's the, where's the receipt at? We'll see that one. And um, the people we were with, they, they took it. I didn't actually say anything. That would have been jacked up but they took the receipt and they paid for the meal. They covered the tip and everything. It was great. And I remember the words that came out of my mouth that I said so many times and somebody paid for my meal. I said, let me pay you back. I can't tell you how many times I've been to lunch and I paid for somebody as well. They said, let me, let me work for it. Let me, let me come over, let me earn it. I, you shouldn't pay for me. I don't deserve that. Let me just, let me work for it. So that's what I said to him. I said, let me come to your business. Let me, let me do it. I'll answer phones. I'll do anything. Just let me pay back. Cause that was a big, a big meal. He said, no, 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 like you just need to receive the blessing. Like we got you covered. And I asked myself in that moment, how many times do I do that with God? When he has willingly paid the debt of the debt I owed, he paid the entire bill of everything that I've done and he didn't ask for anything in return. I wonder how many times we've done that. 
when he covered everything. And just like the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus, he says, how, how do I earn it? I just don't wanna give you this with what's in my hand. I'll do anything else. I just don't wanna give this. And that's what he's asking for today. He's not saying you have to work for it, you have to earn it. You know what he's asking for? Would you be willing and obedient to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for what you have for me? God, you paid such a great debt. How could I not serve? God, you paid such a great debt. How could I not give? How could I not be a part of changing others' lives when you've done it for me? Friend, if we knew the debt that he paid for us, we'd be so much more willing to say anything you wanna do. You can leave and you can take my life and you can use it. It reminds me of the scriptures where it said that where sin once abounded, grace abounded all the more. That when we were in our sin, that Christ died for us in our failure, in our flaws, in our mistakes. It wasn't in what we could do. And this is what we get wrong so many times, no matter how much we talk about it. We still think we can pay God back and we will never be able to pay him back for what he did. Jesus, I come to tell you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You know why? Because no matter how many different times I've studied our own scriptures, I've also looked and seen what, what, what other people believe. I've spent time with this, coworkers that I've had, and I've learned what all their things are. Even Buddhism, they'll tell you the last words of Buddha were these, strive on untiringly. Man, doesn't that feel like it just places a weight on you? Strive on, work harder, do good, be more trained. If you, just, if you just do it enough, then you'll get heaven. What? Jesus comes in and his last three words were, it is finished. Meaning we didn't have to do it. It's not strive on, it's stop striving and start abiding. It's just rest in him. He's already paid your debt. He's already covered your tab. You don't have to do it. This is how I know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life because we don't have to work for it or earn it. He covers all of it. And today he's asking for access to your soul. We can stand, we're gonna close here. Um, you can stand, you can stand, we're gonna pray. I'm gonna close with this thought and, and the worship team can come back. You know, the people that I've met with over the years and I, I know we've all met with these people and they've, they've said, I'm just gonna live good, I'll live morally and that'll get me into heaven. And that, that's cool, all right, cool, try it. Uh, but but to, to, to the reference of the Bible, what, what makes you good or moral, um, there's only a few commandments. I think it's like 613. So if you can keep 613 commandments down pat 24 seven, no days off, no PTO, no vacation request, then you're good. But that's tiring, isn't it? Cause you're gonna have an off day. You're gonna do something, you're gonna say something. We all do. And if you had an off day trying to be perfect and moral in your own eyes, then you're gonna fail. And Jesus came in in Matthew 22, 37 with the one single greatest commandment recorded in the Bible. And it was the same three points I just preached. He said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus, with this rich young ruler and with all of us, he wants to address the three main components of our life, your heart, your mind, and your soul. I wanna ask you today as we close in prayer here, what are you holding on to tighter than you're holding on to him? I feel like today the Lord might be wanting to do some work in some people that you've thought, man, I have to earn it, but I wanna tell somebody today before I close, you're enough. You're accepted because of what he's done. You are, you are valued, you are loved, you are seen, you are cherished, and he sees you. And when he sees you in your process, it's not with shame or condemnation. It's with grace, 
It's with love and it's with mercy. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I wanna pray for some people in here today. I feel like some people walked in here today feeling heavy based off the weight of their own mistakes and failures. And you have tried to actually earn your way to acceptance. You've tried to earn your way, whether you see it or not, into God's good grace. And you have not just received it. And today is the day to receive the grace and the free gift that he has for you. If you've walked away from him or you've never given your life to him, I wanna ask you to lift up your hands and just say, God, I surrender to you. Okay, you can put your hands right back down. God, I pray for the hands that were lifted in this room. God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient, that even in our weakness and our flaws and our failures, your grace is completely sufficient to cover us. God, I thank you so much that you sent your one and only son to live a perfect life, live no, in no sin, and then to be crucified, to die, but to be resurrected and to come back with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Nothing is stronger and more potent than that message. And so Jesus, with the hands that were lifted in this place, we yield and surrender our life to you. And we thank you for the grace that cannot be earned, it cannot be repaid, it can only be received. We say yes to you with all of our hearts, all of our minds, and all of our souls. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.